I have a riddle for you. What's something that's assigned to you at birth, could ruin your life if in the wrong hands, is nearly impossible to replace, yet could be effectively destroyed if submerged in a glass of water? I'll give you a few seconds. The U.S. Social Security Card. Have you ever thought about how ludicrous it is that something whose physical destruction can be so damaging hasn't yet arrived at the lamination phase of evolution in 2020? Uh, No, we're not taking on Social Security this week, but it's a pretty simple way to illustrate how stuck in time a lot of our government's technology is. Welcome to Working Better, a podcast about problems worth solving and the technology required to solve them. I'm your host, Scott Herms. The question we're asking, why can we file taxes online but not vote online? We're going to unpack this question because it took us to some interesting places, including getting out of the U.S. entirely, which doesn't sound too bad these days, right? We've grown accustomed to sharing such vast amounts of information digitally. Many of the transactions we conduct online every day would have terrified us just a handful of years ago. Banking from your phone, applying for loans, dance challenges, credit cards, jobs, renting out your homes to strangers, and filing taxes. So why can't our voting systems work in the same way? No, I mean not terrifying us, but working online. If that question has ever run through your head, you're not alone. No surprise, there's a lot to it. And many people will say it's next to impossible, at least in the U.S. in the near future. There are many different ways to look at it. In just about every conversation about online voting, eventually one country comes up. Estonia. With a population the size of Philadelphia, Estonia is known for its vast wilderness, black rye bread, and having absolutely no one famous born there. Go look up famous Estonians and you'll see what I mean. No offense, Estonia, but you need to really pick up your PR game. Uh, Oh yeah, and for the purpose of this episode, and what is really important, is that in Estonia, every citizen has been able to vote online since 2005. So we're going to talk about how Estonia built their current system, as well as the most significant obstacles preventing the U.S. from doing something similar. Plus, we'll discuss if the real question shouldn't be, why can't we vote online, but rather, should we want to? Bordering Latvia to the south, Russia to the east, and the Baltic Sea, Estonia has become known as the most digitally advanced society in the world. 99% of all public services are available online. Driver's license, permits, paying taxes, opening a business, and yes, voting, all happens through one digital tool. Since the voting system was first introduced in 2005, the country's acceptance of it has only grown stronger. In fact, it has flourished. No major vote recounts, no hacking scandals, and in the most recent election, 46.7% of all votes were cast online, bringing down the cost per vote by an estimated 50%. So, is it a glimpse into the future about how governments will operate it? Is it something that only works at small scale, or are the threats too extraordinary, too uncertain, and potentially catastrophic that it should be avoided like the plague? Ballot security is far and away the number one issue. Keeping who you voted for a secret is sort of the bedrock of the whole thing. It can't ever be revealed so that no one can coerce you into voting for a candidate because they can never confirm if you actually complied. The anonymity of voting is also, in many ways, the simplest way to understand the differences between things like financial transactions and voting. Fraud protection systems that help make online banking and tax filing possible depend specifically 
on linking your activity to your identity. But in voting, that connection is completely severed, so the technical challenge is turned on its head. And there's also the question of motivation and the differences between the government wanting your money and wanting you to vote, but we're putting those questions aside for now. So as we play our game of keeping up with the Estonians, how do they keep every ballot a secret? It helps to look at the system as a whole. The central idea behind this development is transformation of the state role and digitalization of trust. That's Anna Piperel, Managing Director of eEstonia, the group within the Estonian government responsible for the country's digital services, speaking at a TED Summit event in 2019. Think about it. In most countries, people don't trust their governments, and the governments don't trust them back. And all the complicated paper-based formal procedures are supposed to solve that problem, except that they don't. They just make life more complicated. No arguments there. When Estonian officials talk about their digital society, they describe three design principles that have guided it since its early development in the 90s. The first principle is to guarantee privacy and confidentiality. At the center of the technology is the digital identity system and a digital ID card. Every citizen is issued a digital identity that must be verified before any services can be accessed. We spoke with Florian Marcus, a digital transformation advisor at the E-Estonia Briefing Center, who showed us just how simple it is to vote in Estonia. The actual process of voting takes around 20 seconds. It effectively takes as long as you need to decide who you want to vote for. You type in one pin, then you choose your candidate. You type in the second pin, end of story. If me, you're like thinking, end of story, but I, but I have so many questions. Estonians say that those two pins are what prevent someone from being able to vote fraudulently if they had your digital ID card. But again, what about keeping my vote anonymous? Encryption effectively means that you can see in the source code how we encrypt our stuff, but to decrypt it, um, you don't need to have found a particular line in the, in the code. Instead, you would need a lot of brute computing power to decrypt that key. And um, the truth is that uh, the encryption that we use these days would take all the different supercomputers in the world combined uh, several years just to crack one sort of transaction. Florian was also quick to point out that the entire system source code is available on GitHub, meaning IT nerds like myself can go take a look and point out its flaws. Many experts working on this very problem in the US, the UK, and other European countries seem to agree. This type of encryption is still far from what it would take at the scale of a country like the U.S. There is a type of encryption called homomorphic encryption that could help out. I won't explain the math because I don't understand it. But people who are much better at math than I am discovered a type of encryption that would allow you to perform operations on encrypted data without decrypting it. But yet, the calculations are encrypted. Josh Benelow at Microsoft has helped develop voting software Microsoft Election Guard, that leverages this encryption to count votes. This allows them to get an accurate tally of the total number of votes without seeing who you voted for. Wow, mom was right. Math is cool. The second major issue is infrastructure. In other words, the system, server, software, and networks that online voting would depend on. The key to the Estonian infrastructure is a data exchange platform called the X-Road. Anna Piperall explains. Just like a highway, it connects public sector databases and registries, local municipalities and businesses, 
organizing a real-time, secure, and regulated data exchange, setting an auditable trace after each move. Which brings us to the second design principle, only once. Each piece of information is entered only once. Permits, licenses, leases, contracts, basic medical info. Think of how many times you've had to resubmit the same piece of information to multiple entities at your local government. I've lost track. And in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking, shouldn't you have this information already? I mean, Google does. Facebook does. For example, my address is only stored with the population register. And if the tax authority needs my address or if the voting register needs my address, they're not allowed to ask me. They can't ask me to enter it a second time. It's forbidden. The X-Road data exchange system is just a part of the infrastructure that makes online voting possible. But it illustrates a key point. It's part of a much more robust approach to digital services. The lack of such an approach in the U.S. has been underscored by the efforts from several organizations trying to bridge the gap. Organizations like OmniVallet, Votes, that's B-O-A-T-Z, and Democracy Live have been advocating for online voting, including systems already in place for members of the military and certain citizens overseas to vote online. However, several studies, including studies from the University of Michigan and MIT, have cautioned that the existing online voting systems are rife with vulnerabilities and security issues. It seems that what's been built so far, while well-intentioned, isn't supported by a strong enough foundation. It's attempting to build a service that, in order to work, depends on a bigger system that simply doesn't exist. And it's a bit like debating where to hang artwork in your home, finally agreeing that yes, it does tie the room together above the fireplace, when you suddenly remember you don't actually have any walls or floors. And you're really just standing in an open field with a giant live, laugh, love poster and nowhere to put it. To make it even more difficult, in the U.S., each of the states and the District of Columbia are responsible for voting. Then the actual mechanics of voting is at the county level. Try getting all those parties to agree on a single shared infrastructure for voting when we can't even agree on how to pronounce pecan, caramel, or crayon. Wait, wait. Pecan, caramel, Crayon. No, no, pecan, caramel, crayon. Ah, f*** it. Uh, sweet brain-shaped nut, uh, brown sticky sweet sauce that likes apples, and waxy colored drawing stick. Anyway, foundations matter. Infrastructure matters. Okay, moving on to the third major issue at hand, voter confidence. Estonian leaders put it at the forefront of their entire system, voting very much included. The third and final principle at the heart of the Estonian system, only you have access to the data. Back to Anna on the TED stage. Every time a policeman, a doctor, or any state officer is accessing a personal information of the citizens online, first, they only get to access it after logging in to the information they're authorized to see to do their job. And secondly, every time they're making requests, this is saved in a log file. This detailed log file is part of the state public services and allows real transparency, making sure no privacy violation will remain unnoticed to the citizen. In terms of the voting process, this idea of ownership takes shape in a few ways. First is the structure of elections themselves. Elections are scheduled for 10 days. The first seven days are digital only. You can change your vote as many times as you want, and only the last vote is counted. The issue of coercion comes up a lot here, and Florian said, they're often asked, 
What's to prevent someone from breaking into my home and forcing me to vote for a particular candidate? Yes, somebody could break into my house uh, and force me to vote for a particular candidate, but I've got seven more days to change my vote. Uh, and obviously that way it's very hard to leverage uh, a meaningful part of the population. And uh, even if somebody broke into my house, I don't know, on the last uh, online voting day at 23.59, just before midnight, and f would force me to cast my final vote in favor of some other candidate, uh, the paper vote that happens afterwards overrides any electronic vote. So that is still uh, another safeguard that we have for, for iVoting. Maintaining voter confidence in a trustworthy system brings up another critical process, audits. Experts will often point to paper ballots as still the gold standard for an audible, tangible way to ensure the accuracy of an election. Florian insists they're able to maintain the same type of audit that's counted with paper ballots. Of course, an auditable trace of every single vote, uh, how it was cast and whose favor it was cast, that we will have stored on the, on the black box server uh, that would then be opened by the Electoral Commission at the end of the election period, uh, together with the international observers, just like in any other paper elections. We didn't get into the weeds about the audit process with Florian, but cybersecurity experts around the world, including MIT's Ron Rivest, have continued to urge government officials to adopt paper-based risk-limiting audit systems rather than any online voting. In 2019, Microsoft announced ElectionGuard, an open-source software development kit designed to help make voting, audits, and security more efficient. Microsoft has also been quick to emphasize that the technology is not designed to support online voting. So, where could the U.S. start? Estonia built a digital government from the ground up, and every time a conversation starts about building trust in our voting process, the conversation usually circles back to the question, what about the blockchain? Isn't the blockchain designed to solve this problem? Although the call for blockchain to solve all of our problems was more of a 2018 thing, it does seem to make sense in this case. A decentralized public ledger to help ensure security of information. What we learn is yes, blockchain technology plays a critical role in the Estonian system as a whole, but not the actual voting process itself. We do not use blockchain in voting or for uh, direct data storage. Our friend Florian explains. We don't use the blockchain to store a citizen's data because uh, as per EU regulations, the GDPR uh, for uh, general data protection does not allow us to store citizens' data on the blockchain because uh, in the EU, we have the right to be forgotten. And the blockchain is extremely famous and infamous for not forgetting. We use it for very important data sets, for example, citizens' uh, health records. To explain this further, if somebody would be able to hack into the e-health database and would be able to change every single citizen's um, blood record, uh, so the blood group to another blood group, so that maybe the next time we get a blood transfusion, we die because it's the wrong blood. That would be terrible, of course. But the blockchain uh, element that we use, it's called KSI blockchain, and uh, that element would mean that we would be, number one, we would be immediately aware that somebody broke into the system and changed something. And number two, it would be able to revert those data sets back to what they were before. So it would go back to the original state, which effectively means crisis averted. Again, the foundation is everything. We spoke with Mark Ardito, Kenan Carter's VP of Modernization, to get his perspective. Mark has spent his career helping big global businesses break free from old sluggish technology and move to modern, agile ways of doing things. In the United States, we have an enormous amount of technical debt. 
What that means is we have not invested into computer systems in our government agencies for decades. We see sporadic pockets of investment, but it's nothing of substance. We have federal systems and then we have state-run systems. They all have varying degrees of digital capabilities. Heck, we actually saw the governor of New Jersey tweet back in April amid the outbreak of COVID that he desperately needed six COBOL developers. The IT systems in New Jersey are over 40 years old and still running COBOL. For the non-technical folks listening, COBOL is a computer programming language that, while a breakthrough in modern computing when first designed in 1959, is considered very outdated today. It's sort of the fax machine of computer programming. Once universally used, still somehow hanging on by a thread, but not exactly the horse to bet on to solve 2020 problems. Or for those of you who don't even know what a fax machine is, COBOL is the Ryan Seacrest of programming languages. Really? That's the best we can do? Talk about a lack of investment. Overall, the United States has overwhelmingly underinvested into these systems. We're certainly paying the price for it now. We have a massive amount of work to do from an IT standpoint. Many say a secure universal ID system would create the foundation we need. Ashby Pfizer is a UX expert and technologist working at the intersection of politics and technology. She says it would be a great start, but could be best suited out of the government's hands. I think it needs to actually be independently run. I don't think the government should run it. I think that dividing ID and identification and making it something that's independently run would actually build a lot of trust with Americans because right now we don't trust our government because of a lot of things that have happened on both sides, right? The relationship between the tech community and the government is critical, complicated, and if you've ever seen clips of tech leaders like Mark Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos explaining the internet to the Senate committees, well, there's a lot of ground to be covered. What we need is we need more people who are willing to get their hands dirty and uh, come, from, come from tech, come from big tech to really help uh, with a lot of empathy and, and with a lot of willingness to compromise. We don't speak each other's language. We need a translator. So going back to the original question, why can't we vote online? Some would say we shouldn't vote online, that the threats are too significant. Others argue it's actually the best way to fight those threats but that we simply aren't trying to build a robust system that could actually support it and revolutionize the way we vote. Are we being short-sighted? Ashby thinks perspective is everything. I think a lot of people have a really short-term viewpoint of things, and you really have to look in politics. One of the first things uh, I met with a guy who had been Obama's CTO when I first started in this field, and one of the first things he told me is, you're not going to get something done in a year. You're not going to get something done in two years. You're going to get one major thing done in your political career. And I sat with that for a really long time. And one of the major things I want to do in my political career, whatever that looks like, is to fix voting. If it takes me, you know, I'm 40 right now. If it takes me till I'm 70 to have a universal voting system, I could be, I'm going to be okay with that. And, and that's just not a perspective a lot of technologists are, are willing to take. When I'm 70, I'll be happy if they can find a way to keep me from burning my mouth on the first sip of coffee. Maybe we need some fresh thinking. That's right, folks. It's time for Cooler Terms. In NCARD is not like other firms. They let us do this. It's Cooler Terms. 
So, Katie, what's our cooler term today? Uh, this topic took me on a deep, dark, downward spiral, Scott. Trying to unpack the voting process is, how do you say, a major bummer. Oh, no. K- Katie, this is a podcast about working better. We're optimists here. I don't remember that being in my contract, but here we are. So instead of coming up with a cooler term, per se, I came up with a cooler process. That's right, folks. I fixed voting. Really? That is amazing. I know. Just wait. So, okay, I don't understand how 20 years ago we were able to democratically elect Kelly Clarkson as our American Idol, and yet our voting process has largely remained the same. Are you suggesting that we ask Simon Cowell to run the Board of Elections in every state in the Union? It's a decent idea. I think American Idol has done a decent job of choosing the right winners, with a couple of glaring exceptions— Clay Aiken, Jennifer Hudson. But you can't argue with Kelly Clarkson and Carrie Underwood. I think a lot of problems could be solved by combining our voting process into something more tangible that we understand, like BuzzFeed quizzes. For example, which elected official should you support based on all the data we already have on you? I see you have recently watched three seasons of The Crown on Netflix. Would you like to join a monarchy? Or maybe something less on the nose, like tell us your astrological sign... Disney Princess, Hogwarts House, and Favorite Kitchen Utensil, and we'll do democracy. I would be a Scorpio, Merida from Brave, technically a Pixar princess, Slytherin for life, Corkscrew. I'm a Capricorn Mulan Gryffindor stainless steel silicone tong set from Williams-Sonoma. Or how about another quiz, like, which appellate judge is your spirit animal? What county circuit court clerk matches your Starbucks order? Pick your favorite breakfast food and Danny DeVito movie, and we'll tell you who you should elect into the House of Representatives. Sugar starch vote. Pick your dream pastry, potato, and voting process, and we'll tell you where you should live. Kringle. All kinds. And one that's accurate and accessible. All All hail hail Estonia! Estonia. As always, we want your feedback. Please reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Or, if you live in the U.S., just write it down on your ballot when you vote. Oh, that's right. I am a risk-limiting audit. Thanks for listening.